I will be playing my college football at the University of Drops to the 50, now steps behind the 50, runs to the right side of the 45 of Wisconsin to the 40, throws it long down the field toward the end zone, Devin Smith, touchdown! Devin Smith, he's got it for a touchdown in the middle of the end With the first pick in the 2023 NFL Draft, Welcome to episode 7 of TFU, the actual episode 7. You have to forgive us last week, uh, we, we, we called it, mistakenly called it episode 7, it was indeed episode 6. We, we recorded a preview show that uh, that we didn't release, so it was episode 7 for us, but this, you're, you're episode 7 now, and you know, I want to kick this one off with with a story from Tyler, and I haven't told him that, I'm gonna, that, that I was going to ask him for this one, but when I was speaking to Tyler during the college slate over the week, over the weekend... One minute I spoke to him and he was going crazy in the Oregon bar. The next minute I spoke to him, he was going crazy in the Ohio State bar. The next minute I speak to him, he's in the Texas bar. And I think, Tyler, I think you did a road trip of the entire college football landscape this weekend. <laughs> I, I've got, the question is, how and where did you enjoy the games this week? So, Josh, I started my Saturday actually at my apartment. I was watching the first quarter of that uh, Clemson-Florida State game. Then went over to meet my friends at Hill Country Barbecue, which is where the Texas A&M bar is, uh, Gig'em, was there for a little bit, and I'm like, I don't want to be here. I'm going to my Oregon bar. So I headed up to 33rd and 5th, shout out Legends, New York City, shout out my guy Oliver, and watched a great Oregon game. And then my friend was like, hey, I'm going to go to the Ohio State bar. I'm like, let's go, let's go. So I wandered over to Fifth and Mad and watched at the Ohio State bar. And I think if I really wanted to, I probably could have found a USC bar and watched the late slate of games. Josh, the beautiful thing, the beautiful thing about New York City is there's just a team bar for everybody. And when you come, we're going to all the team bars we can go to. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. They just sound like a... They sound like, for, for lack of a better word, carnage. So I'm looking forward to that. But Yeah, yeah. But I think this week of games was carnage as well, and we were just speaking just before we jumped live, and you know it's rare that a, a slate that is this magnificent on paper actually plays out to be as good once the week is all said and done. And man, there were some good games this week. Man, there's great games this week, and from the start, from noon, where you had Clemson, Florida State, all the way to the end of the night, like even USC, Arizona State, which we'll get into, like good games just across the board, overtime thrillers. One yard line thrillers, blowouts, smackings, defensive showdowns. Josh, I'm so excited to get into all of it. So am I. And what better way to start than with one of the biggest ones of the whole weekend in Ohio State Notre Dame? And you mentioned it, defensive showouts. I mean, the first half of this game was a complete defensive shout from both sides. I thought both defensive, both defensive units played lights out. Really, really was a. You know, both came out fighting. Both came out fast. Both came out violent and. The offenses were, were kind of stunned to start with, and then uh, and they started to rally back in the second half. But I was really impressed with kind of how the defenses showed out in this Ohio State game. Yeah, I was impressed with both sides of that defense, like both teams' defenses to start that game. Kyle McCord just looked uncomfortable the entire first half. And even Sam Hartman was under duress that entire first half. I think uh, Ohio State they didn't get any sacks, but they were pressuring him. They were getting him off-key. Notre Dame would go for one fourth down. They were stuffing the run. Ohio State defense, just dogs, man. Steel Chambers, a linebacker, and JT Toyolmu, the edge guy who's going to be a first-round draft pick. 
just incredible. And then on the Notre Dame side of the ball, like Notre Dame's defense was flying everywhere. They kept Marvin Harrison Jr. in check up until the final drive of the game. He, he only had like one catch for seven yards up until end of the fourth quarter or near the end of the first fourth quarter. But Emeka Buka, dude, <laughs> baller. It's a baller. Yeah. That's the funny thing about this team is when it's not one, they got the other guy to go to, and, and then they can go to the running back in Travion Henderson, who had a decent day as well. You know, sort of topped 100 yards and, and managed to get a score. But this is the first time we've really seen, you know, Notre Dame under some real pressure. And as you said, you know, the offensive line didn't didn't give up any sacks, but they were still getting after him and causing some problems there. And it's the first time that we've really seen sort of Hartman face some some serious pressure to, to that extent. And you know, I thought we dealt with it well at times, but it's certainly certainly hindered this offense that I think it was a little bit of a wake-up call for Notre Dame of this is a you know there's some real tough units out there and yes we've been beating on people and yes we've got Hartman in here now but hey you're not going to just beat down on everyone yeah it's Ohio State's not quite Navy where you're not gonna be able to run the ball at will and Audrey Esme he did have a decent day on the ground 70 yards on 14 attempts but they just they couldn't get anything going and I think that speaks more to the Ohio State defense but then come the second half Notre Dame's offense started clicking. They just played keep-away ball, you know, limited time of possessions for Ohio State. And Hartman was dealing towards the end. Uh, got the run game going. Got the tight ends involved. That's something that's been missing for Notre Dame pretty much all season. It was just, man, that it came down to the final play and the final drive. And it was an incredibly gutsy drive by Kyle McCord. You know, you're backed up. It's a third and long, and you just laser it to your best player who catches it on the one yard line you burn your time out you have two plays seven seconds left and I like the idea trying to throw a fade to Marvin Harrison Jr. going against Benjamin Morrison like probably the best corner in college football right now that's a Sunday duel that's a first round versus first round duel you didn't get the completion you got three seconds left and the balls to run the ball it's a gutsy call because if you don't get that, everyone's going to be questioning you. But luckily, they Notre Dame had 10 men on the field. For back-to-back plays. I can't understand it. For two plays in a row, Notre Dame lined up with no down linemen in like over like the B gap. Like It's just obscene how it happens two plays in a row. Like you know, I've played football to not a high level and you know we occasionally would have you know 10 men on the field or one man less on the field. But it would never, ever happen two plays in a row. I don't know how people on the defense don't realize someone's missing. It's, <laughs> it's, it's especially since you're coming out of a timeout and Marcus Freeman, you're a defensive coach. Like, this is purely on Marcus Freeman for not recognizing that. Like, you have, you have to have 11 men on the field in the final play of the game. And literally, if you probably put a tackle in that B gap, you stuff the run and you probably win the game. Yeah, that's going to be a real tough one to watch in the film room because they're going to feel like they should have had that one and, you know, it feels like it was it was given up on. You know, just some nonsense. And I think this is going to be a huge turning point for Notre Dame for the rest of the season. I think this is going to carry them because they're like, hey guys, we were a yard away. We were a player away from being Ohio State and really taking that huge, huge step and. To me, Notre Dame still looks like a top 10 team in the country. Like, they showed oh, they are a top 10 team in the country. So does Ohio State. They prove yeah. they're a top 10 team in the country. But I think this will elevate Notre Dame and to have that 
extra chip on their shoulder because they coasted through those first, you know, four games easily. Now, I want to see this team fired up. Yeah, and I think we're going to see it. I really think we're going to see it because those ones hurt. And those are the ones that, you know, sometimes spur teams onto a championship. They're the ones that spur teams on to, to get into them big big postseason games and spurs them through it because the taste of defeat is uh, is often a lot worse than the taste of victory. But, you know, taste of victory for Ohio State, it's got to be pretty sweet. For a team that's been oh, dogged on for not being able to like win these big games and these physical games... Ryan Day said in his post-game press conference just calling out 86-year-old Lou Holtz is like, you think we're not physical? You, you're talking shit on my team. They're not physical. These young men. I'm just like, dude, man, Lou Holtz doesn't know what he's saying it's half the time. <laughs> they can beat the, the wrong man. It's the funniest thing when, when, the, when, when the question gets asked and he just doesn't really know where to look. He looks like he's got like rabies. He's like looking around and then he's like, Lou Holtz, I'm coming over you, Lou Holtz. That's like, what? Josh, has a 86-year-old man ever lived that rent-free in your head? Like, has an old person ever said something to you that just pissed you off so much? Um, no, no, not I can think of. <laughs> crazy, crazy. But I'm jump to another crazy game now, and that was the one of the early games, Florida State-Clemson. Now, this was a fantastic game, if you saw this one. Overtime thriller just was so much fantastic football played in this game and I'm a big offensive guy and there was a lot of fun offense I want to start talking about uh, talking about Travis because Travis looks like a very very good quarterback at this point in the season he has been throwing some superb balls there's some been multiple throws every week where I said that is an NFL ball he threw a fantastic back shoulder ball to a Benson down the sideline he just ran a fade route and the ball was just put perfectly on. The, it was like an Aaron Rodgers Devontae throw, that perfect back shoulder ball that the corner has no chance at. It was just superb, superb. But the big play sort of towards the end of this game came from the defence. And this was Clemson are up 24-17 late in the game, third in late in the third quarter. And the slot cornerback blitzed and lit the quarterback up. Ball gets popped out. And and at this point, you know, Clemson are driving up 24-17. They're driving. It's late in the third. The ball's on the FSU 30. They send the slot blitz. The slot blows up the quarterback. He doesn't see it coming. The ball pops out. They return it for a score. It's 24-24. Regulation ends. It's 24-24. And FSU win it in OT. That slot blitz from uh, Kalen Deloach, number four, was just an insane insane momentum swing in this game and I put it down as for me personally I think that might be my play of the week because that really swung the momentum in this game and tied the game up and FSU went on to win this one in uh, win this one in OT I love that's your play of the week because that was a momentum shifter Clemson had this game in control and the defense set the tone so early like they they were keeping Florida State in check that first half like you know Florida State did put up mm-hmm. 14 but the offense just it didn't look smooth it looked like it did against Boston College, where it kind of just like, we're not not really in rhythm yet. And shout out Clemson's defense. Like, they came to play, and they tried their damn hardest to keep Jordan Travis in check. And you can only do so much against a great quarterback and also a great receiver. Johnny Wilson, dude. All those jump balls that they were throwing to him, the corner just had no chance. I, I think I told they went for jump balls all game. They went for jump balls all game. And that one that Johnny Wilson caught down the sideline in the fourth, I know it didn't didn't lead to anything in the end, but that fingertip grab down the sideline was incredible. I texted you like, I always love a 6'6 receiver. Like, I don't care if he's got brick hands, if he runs a 5'8'40. No, I love a 6'6 receiver because he can just 
Just go up and get it. And I think that was Florida State's game plan at the end of the game. It was they just kept feeding Johnny Wilson until oh, they couldn't. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and even in overtime, you know, the 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 game winner was a fade route. It was just a jump ball they threw, and it was to the other number four, the number four on offense this time, uh, Keon Coleman. And you know, he mossed absolutely mossed the corner on the play. It was a fantastic snag, but they went for the jump ball all day and. I had a look afterwards, just a quick quick checkup on the roster, and I went through their receivers, and they've got Johnny Wilson, who's actually listed at 6'7", and then they've got like two guys at 6'4", they've got 6'3", they've got 6", they've got like one guy who's under 6 foot, and everyone else is above like 6'2". That core is full of size, and they showed it off against Clemson. They really did. Keon Coleman had himself another game. Five for 86 and two touchdowns, including the game winner, man. What a great, great offseason pickup getting him from Michigan State, dude. I'm such a Keon Coleman fan. At, go, going to the other side of the ball, though, going to Clemson, it's encouraging to see that this offense finally has rhythm. You know, in that after that Duke game, we thought, like, this team's dead in the water right now. And this is a gutsy performance. Like, Kate Klubnick, he played a pretty good game. He didn't turn the ball over. He managed the game well, which is not exactly what a championship team does but you know for a sophomore quarterback like this is what you want to do and Clemson's running games it was all right like they didn't really get Will Shipley involved too much Phil Moffa had himself another good game Clemson just he managed the game well and I think if you play that game 10 times Clemson probably wins that five because they, at least yeah they had it the kicker had it and Josh I want to talk about his kicker for Clemson, man, Jonathan Welts. <laughs> this dude was working a finance job in New York two weeks ago. I probably ran into him drunk at a bar. <laughs> <laughs> this dude, like, he just comes back to Clemson. He was on the team, never made the roster, like never played, never made the roster, working a full-time job in finance in New York. And then they're like, hey, we need a kicker. Come on down, dude. You still got eligibility. Come back. Like We need you. Hits his first field goal of the day, and then he just shanks the one right, man. Oh, it's heartbreaking. That was heartbreaking for him. I, the commentator had an absolute bar in that game where, uh, you might not have heard this if you were watching it out, but he said um, something along the oh, the Hollywood ending wasn't to be had or whatever, and uh, and he just goes, yeah, well, the writers are on strike. <laughs> and I just thought it was incredible. <laughs> That's a bar from a Disney-owned company. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that was a great one. Uh-huh. That was a great one. Yeah. Any more notes there, or should I dive into Alabama Ole Miss? Uh, just a couple more notes uh, about Florida State. I think they are the real deal. You know, Clemson's not ranked, but this may as well be a ranked team. I think Florida State's the real deal. They prove that they can blow the doors off an LSU team. They can, you know survive a bad game versus Boston College and they can win a tough game in a hostile environment against a good team I I might have them as maybe my number two team right now Josh as high as two I love it I love it hey you know we've been hot on them from the start of the year we we, we expected a lot of big things from them and I mean they've even exceeded my expectations what I thought of them and I was high on them so I, I'm very excited about this uh, about this FSU team going to dive into Ole Miss Alabama now and Ole Miss fans are hurting because this was the year that it was meant to all come together this was the year that they were meant to finally take down Alabama the problem for me here right is this Ole Miss offense has been prolific 
but only against lesser competition. You know, they haven't really shown out against anyone that's decent. And they had a big issue trying to solve this Alabama defense. Big issue trying to solve, try, trying to break down the coverage. They just couldn't get it right all game. They couldn't protect the quarterback. And that's kind of the summary of the story for Ole Miss in this one. You know, they just, on offense, they just couldn't get this Alabama defense figured out. And, you know, this is a well-drilled defense. Right? You know, this is a saving defense. And even when it has not the best talent, you know they're going to be drilled well. And they're still a very, very hard team to play. But let me go to the other side now because this is another offense that I just really don't like. And I just, you know, where do we start with this Alabama offense? Because the quarterback situation is bad. We know that. The offensive line situation is even worse. And when you've got a bad quarterback situation and a really bad offensive line situation, it just makes the quarterback situation look even worse. Milrow was sacked four times before the half. They couldn't punch in a touchdown with, from the one-yard line. And they had their fifth, Tyler, fifth touchdown of the year called back for a flag on the O-line. Five, five flags pulling back scores. It's just absurd. It's just... There's so many issues on this Alabama offense that stem from the offensive line and the quarterback play that it's not even worth diving deeper into the receivers or anything else. It's just, it's it's just a mess there. And I do want to say, you know, Milrow did make some good throws there, and, and I think he made his absolute best throw of the season. That one, I put this in the chat, the one that he stepped into, the seam that he threw, the 33-yard score to uh, to Jalen Hale, to step into that throw with a guy literally on your hip is absolutely crazy. And you know, it was no surprise he didn't get up fast from it, but. You know, he's given enough for me to show that he's the starter for the rest of the year now. But give him some damn help offensive line. Give him something. Josh, this offense is offensive to watch. It's a damn <laughs> shame, though, because Jalen Hale and Jermaine Burton are two really good receivers. They're so good. It's just they can't get the ball. Like, they they want to run these deep routes. And Milrow, he's only got two speeds. It's fuck it, chuck it deep, or I'm running. Like, <laughs> yep. that's all he does. And when it works, it works damn well. Again, like you said, stepping into that throw, the deep post to hail, and just getting drilled. That was a beautiful ball. And all, an amazing catch, too, with the defender draped all over him. It's just tough to see. And the running game for Alabama isn't bad. Jason McClellan is uh, he's a good running back. He's not like your typical Alabama killer that you we've grown accustomed to seeing I just to me this game came down to it's just Nick Saban out coaching you and Alabama having just more talent than Ole Miss but when they get down the season man I don't know I I don't know because I don't realistically see how this team can beat Texas A&M or Tennessee or LSU but like but you also have Nick Saban so I I guess you could. Great performance by the defense, though. Like, they really just had Jackson Dart seeing ghosts. The defense was disguising yep. pressure. They were... They confused him. And he made some, honestly, some dumb decisions. Like, that deep ball, he threw into, like, quadruple coverage. <laughs> so I'm like, yep. what, what are you doing there, buddy? Uh, it was tough, though, for Ole Miss. You know, Quinshawn Judkins, he was questionable for this game. He did play, just... They couldn't get the run game going. I think that put too much pressure on the Jackson Dart. And I don't think that he's yeah. that kind of guy where he's going to win your team the game. You need to relieve some pressure with the run game. 
Yeah, and especially you know, especially when that when that Alabama defensive line showed up, and, and especially later in this game, sort of through the through the fourth quarter, especially they really started to get after him. And I had a note down that there, there was a point where the uh, the pass protection for for Ole Miss was struggling so much that Ole Miss had two separate offensive linemen flagged on the same play for holding, and Dart still got sacked. <laughs> it was just uh yeah. It was tough from both sides in this one, and, and I do think it made for quite a fun watch. You know, it, came, it, it did make for quite an exciting watch, but you know, this was just a, a tale of, for me, a tale of the the more talented team. Just speaking purely talent wise, came out on top, and you know, a twenty four ten scoreline is kind of what I expect from a game where that's the storyline. And also, just the better coach team, like yeah, I think Saban yeah absolutely took it incredibly personal when he saw everyone talking shit about Alabama after that UCF game. And then Lane Kiffin saying, oh, we're, we're preparing for it all. We we got this master plan. I think Saban said, no, listen here. Settle down, son. Like, get back in line. Remember who you learned from. And, yeah, it's it's got to be tough if you're an Ole Miss fan. Because like you said, Josh, this is supposed to be the year. They had the team. They had the talent. They lost a close one last year to them. I... I don't know, Ole Miss. I don't. I don't think you're gonna be beating Alabama anytime soon until Mr. Saban retires. Yeah, if you didn't do it this year, you know this is the year where the stars were meant to align. And yeah, I don't don't see them doing it next year. But we'll see. Next game, I want to get your thoughts on because I I quit this game when this was 21-0 because you know I hit this line very hard expecting this to be a little bit of a blowout and it turned out to be one. And that is Oregon 42, Colorado six. Woo wee! It was personal. In the words of Coach Dion Primetime Sanders, it was personal. Josh, this was 60 minutes of football nirvana for me. Nothing could have wiped the smile off thy face. Oregon played about as perfect of a game as you could outside of maybe one play, and that was an interception by Bo Nix where he read the cover two. He just didn't get enough over it, and the corner two safety – or corner two, the cover two – corner just sat on it picked it from Troy Franklin but man Oregon and Dan Lanning really just said all right Dion welcome to the big times you want to play let's play this defense terrorized Shador Sanders from the get-go sacked seven times seven defense was swarming they were doing safety blitzes Edwin Williams has this great blitz where you plows through the running back and then just goes straight for Shador and he's just like oh man this this quite this ain't TCU this this ain't the FCS <laughs> like just real dudes on the defense and I think this was I was telling my friends all week like guys it's either going to be or he blows the doors off them or Colorado wins by three there, there's no in between and that's exactly what we saw Oregon blowing the doors off of them vintage vintage Oregon from just the start, you had the flashy uniforms, scoring at will, going super up-tempo. Like, this was a 2012 Chip Kelly offense. Even going for it with a fake punt on your own 17 in the first quarter, up 13, that's some balls. And Dan Lane's like, yep, yep. Man, Josh, what a fun game. And I even got to talk about the offense yet. I even get to talk about Bo Nix wheeling and dealing. Troy Franklin had himself another game. Eight for 126 and two touchdowns. Best kept secret in the Pac-12, Troy Franklin at receiver. And the Oregon run game just ran all over Colorado. Combined 240 yards by the team. 
Bucky Irving just they, they couldn't be stopped. Colorado's defense just had no tackling practice. No tackling practice. Yeah, you know, this is something that we've spoken about of Colorado before. It's that defense has been a little bit susceptible to to that. You know, they just haven't looked that drill. They haven't kind of tackled too well. And, you know, this is just a, a complete beatdown. This was Oregon 522 total yards to Colorado's 199. And Colorado had, had 7.2 yards less than 100 yards in the fourth quarter. <laughs> they had less than yeah, 100 yards in yeah, the fourth quarter. They got completely, completely shut down from the get-go here. And, I mean, this is just two teams that are at completely different classes for me. This is one team that's in kind of the, the you know, pushing that college football elite. And this is a team that's wasn't expected to be anywhere near that, you know, and, and kind of I think they finally got there. This is where you are in the college football rankings, Colorado. And you know the eyes have been on you, but, you know, take a reality check. Take a reality check here. The Cinderella story certainly, certainly was over. And, man, it was just so refreshing to see an Oregon team that is elite play at an elite level versus a good opponent like there's no denying Colorado is a good team are they a top 25 team maybe not but they're a damn good team and it's refreshing to see Josh going over to the Colorado rushing side I just looked at their stats guess how many rushing yards they have through four games this year oh they haven't had 100 a game it's at least got to be less than 400 it's got to be like 320 or something. Oregon ran for more yards on Saturday than Colorado has the entire year. Oh my goodness. <laughs> they have 223 rushing yards all season. Damn. Damn. Yeah. And I mean, this is something that we've that we've mentioned each week speaking on Colorado because they've come up every week because they've been entertaining and they've been in they've been in some great games, but every week we've said, you know, that rushing attack still doesn't look like it's there and one, as soon as they match up against these bigger teams, there's a legitimate issue. They are too one-dimensional and i think now that they're gonna get into the meat of their schedule against conference opponents they're gonna have to develop a run game whether that be with shador or with your running backs anthony hawkins or you know dylan edwards getting them involved you got you gotta be two-dimensional because right now teams mm-hmm. are just like all right we're just gonna send six drop five and we, we will beat you because yeah, the, well, because they only need to defend one half of the field. Yeah, because Shadur only reads it's one read, one read and bang. So if you only have to defend half the field and can blitz the other half, you're going to be in with a a, a tough day against uh, <laughs> Colorado. Going to be in for a tough day playing you. A very tough day. A couple more, just a couple last thoughts on this game, Josh. It was refreshing to see Dion take this with absolute like humbleness. He's like, "Yep, you got us." Sure, we are going to come back stronger, though. Like, props to him, because he could have been like, oh, we were out with our best player, blah, blah, blah. Like, no, he knew he got his ass kicked, and he owned up to that. He's like, yeah, we got our ass kicked, but we won't let it happen again. We're going to take it and learn from it. And I think that is the makings of a great coach, a coach that understands, like, yeah, we've had a fun ride, but now we got to buckle up, and I think we're going to see an evolution of this Colorado team. I think that they're going to probably quiet down a little bit, <laughs> Maybe the media won't quiet down, but I think the Colorado team will quiet down a little bit and really find their own identity and like try to develop an offensive run game and try to develop a defense that can stop the run. Try to be a more physical defense because if you can't stop the run, you're going to lose every game. Yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt, and as you said, you know some of the media attention is going to start to pivot towards some of these big ranked matchups that we're starting to get coming thick and fast now. So, you know some of the circus, the media circus, might be away from them, and 
you know, give them a chance to go and do that. I do well, want to end this one off by saying, uh, by or oh, go on, you do your last point, and then I'll. Uh, I think we might be talking about. I'll, the same I'll thing. let you know. You, you go, then I'll go. Well, I was going to say that you are the reason that the uh, the game wasn't a shutout, <laughs> and that is because I texted you and said, Tyler, turn the Oregon game off. It's forty-two-zero with three minutes left. And you said, no, I want to shut out. So you got exactly what you deserve. <laughs> I did. That was not what I was going to say. I was just saying I'm a more uh, on a funnier note. I don't know if you saw on the social medias before the game, the Oregon Duck puddles, as I like to call them. It's not his official name. Also, wearing my fresh home field sweatshirt with the duck on it. Um, came out wearing the Dion Cowboy hat, the gold glasses, and no, a I miss this. chain, a or a, a clock chain that said "Time's up," and he was smashing a clock, and the head fell off. The mascot head fell off, and the guy had to run back in the tunnel because, like, oh shit, I'm, I'm not going. Had to run back, and that was in the pregame. It was absolutely hilarious. I'll send it to you after the show. Oh, that's hilarious! Yeah, you got to share that one. Got to share that one. Another great game, but the next one I'll dive into is UCLA Utah. And speaking of defensive performances, this was a serious defensive showing from that Utah Utes team and they were violent and fast from the first snap they this D-line and this front seven caused problems from the start of this game all the way through to the la- the very last snap this was you know this was 14-7 and this was 14-7 because firstly you know no cam rising this Utah offense is struggling to move the ball they just are and they're struggling to score and this UCLA team probably should have beat them but that Utah defense showed out, and the Utah defense won them this game. They were exceptional, Tyler. From the first snap, Moore drops back, and he wants to throw the flat. And I think it was the strong safety rotates down, is just reading his eyes, goes right in the passing lane, picks six to open the game. And honestly, that's all Utah needed, because they yeah. sacked the hell out of UCLA. Dante Moore... Man, poor poor kid, poor kid, because he was just getting hell, rained down. Defenders coming left, coming right. The offensive line looked lost the entire game. The whole game. You know, that first play, it was, I don't know, down, they just ran double slants. They're expecting man coverage early. They ran double slants, and he just stared at the slot guy. You know, and the read for double slants is if it's man, you throw the back slant because the slot corner vacates that space. Well, the, the, the slot corner just sat there. And the QB stared at him and then just rifled the ball at him. I think the QB kind of predetermined he was throwing the back slant, expecting the man coverage. Didn't get it and it went straight to the house. And, you know, that was all they needed. It finished 14-7. You know, the offense only got down and, and scored once. And UCLA had a chance to win this game. You know, UCLA had the ball final drive. They had time on the clock and they had the ball. And then this Utah defense went sack on first down, sack on second down, sack on fourth down. End the game. This was just... An out-and-out defensive showing, and if you like defensive football, watch this one back because Utah were just outstanding. You know his name that's going to be on my draft board is Jonah Ellis, man. Five and a half sacks throughout the year. He had three and a half against UCLA. Five TFLs. This guy was flying all over the field. That's going to be a name to watch out for. Yeah, he lived in the backfield. He lived in the backfield all day. Yeah, I mean, what more to say about that Utah defense was they just lived in the backfield. And UCLA had some plays. It's just they really just couldn't get anything going. They would have, you know, good run, good pass, and then get incomplete sack sack. Like, they just they couldn't get any rhythm going. 
and it's tough to see. Utah's a tough place to play, and I think that's kind of what we expected with a freshman quarterback making his first true road start in a hostile environment. And, and we know that this Utah team always has linemen, you know, both sides of the ball. They're always a tough place to go if your line isn't up to scratch, and, and you know, they really, really made them, made them pay for it. You know, you said it as well. So many negative plays, so many tackles for loss that you stop drives behind the sticks, and you just immediately, you immediately sort of in on the back on the back foot from the start. And you no, know, this is exactly what Utah did. They really, really put UCLA on the back foot from every single drive they came out onto the field with, and only gave up the one score, and you know basically equaled it net equal because they got the pick six themselves. I'm counting on my hands. U- UCLA had six three and outs in the first half. Yeah. That's insane. And they were... Utah's offense only scored one touchdown the entire game. Like, UCLA's defense played pretty well, or I think it's more of a symptom of Utah's defense, or Utah's offense is just trash without Cam Rising. That's... He has to play next week, right? Because reports earlier this week were saying Cam Rising might play, Cam Rising might play, and then came out on Saturday that, no, he's not going to play. He's got to be close to healthy because... Well, apparently he was cleared, right? He was cleared for the last game. I just think he hasn't practiced yet. So he was cleared for activity, I think, to an extent. I don't know what the official thing he was cleared for was, but when I spoke to Ryan, shout out Ryan, um, who's a big Utah fan, he said he thinks that um, he's not practiced at all yet. Or from what he's heard, there's been no practice at all. So, you know, that's a big one. But if he gets a full week of practicing this week, you have to imagine he plays. And, you know, it's been quite crazy for this Utah team because this is now a win for Utah over Florida, over Baylor, and over UCLA with a third and full string quarterback and multiple other offensive pieces out. The tight end still not played. It's incredible. And I'm looking at their schedule right now. They need Rising to play this week because they have at Oregon State this Friday. They have a warm-up game versus Cal. Then they go back-to-back of at USC and home versus Oregon. You have three ranked teams in four weeks, you're going to need your star quarterback to play because 14 points is not going to cut it against those three teams. No. No, not at all. They really need him back and they need him back soon. And I really hope he comes back. I want to see what this offense looks like with him because I think this could be a damn good Utah team. I agree. I With this defense, it might be the best defense in the country? Question mark. Hey, they're up there. They're up there for sure. Yeah, I'm excited to watch this. A fully operational Utah team because I think they're number 11 in the country. If they had rising, I think they'd be making a lot bigger noise and they could easily become a top five team. Yeah, yeah, top five is exactly where my head went. They could absolutely crack the top five if rising comes back and plays as well as we know he can. Another good game on Saturday, rivalry matchup. This game is typically played later in the year, but I guess whatever reason, SEC scheduling was LSU-Arkansas and... Arkansas trying to have a bounce back week after losing to BYU in kind of embarrassing fashion. And they looked like they had a chance against LSU. And then LSU at the buzzer kicks the game winner. Another great, great offensive showing by LSU and Jane Daniels. Four touchdowns. He did have that one interception. Didn't look that great. But Malik Neighbors again, man. It's it's going to be the Malik Neighbors show. Eight for a 130, another two touchdowns. He's going to be so fun to watch. Oh, he really is. He really is. This LSU team, was it was a funny one for LSU yesterday because, you know, they started the game off kind of struggling a bit on offense. They really struggled to get into rhythm early here and, you know, just didn't look themselves. And then they hit one play. They hit 49-yard score to, um, who was it to? To Thomas, Jalen Thomas. They hit 49-yard score to him. And then from that point, the offense just looked like they were in perfect rhythm and they clicked from 
the moment that play went in till the end of the game. 31 of their points came in the last 30 minutes. So they was all kind of in the in that second half of the game. They really, really turned it on. They had two wide receivers, so not just neighbours, but they had two receivers go 133 yards, two scores, 130 yards, two scores. So they had two two guys go off yesterday. But it was a tough one for Arkansas because Arkansas had a great game plan here. Their game plan was to starve LSU with the ball. And, you know, in the first half, they had the ball for close to 20 minutes. You know, they, they really managed to eat up that clock early in this game and then just weren't able to then really, really put the hammer down to LSU as soon as that offense started to click. And, you know, Arkansas looked like they had their number early. We're getting, getting home and, and sort of stopping the run for, for sort of no gain and, and sort of net small gains. But then this LSU team really started to push the ball downfield. Daniel started to throw some great balls. Neighbors did what we've seen him do all season and, and you know, all career as a, as a Tiger. And it was tough for Arkansas. They looked like they, they started off really well. They had LSU where they wanted them. They held LSU without a point until there was four minutes left in the second quarter. You know, LSU's work really came in the second half. But, you know, we've said this a few times this year. Another game that's a tale of two halves. Different LSU team came out second half and that was the LSU team that, that we know and expect now. That's the LSU team that can come out, put 30 points on the board and, you know, send you home, send you packing. Looking at the time of possession, Arkansas had the ball for nearly 35 minutes. That's a good way to beat LSU. It's just too little too late like they, they really could stop the offense in that second half but again props to LSU on that final drive like dude, Daniels looked in sync he was dealing started off with a bang the neighbors like I think went like for 40 yards just really set them up and then once they got into range Brian Kelly's like all right we're just gonna run the ball with Logan Diggs and sit on you and I think yep kicked a it was like a 35 yarder 33 yard game winner so they're right right down the goal line it was a good game and Arkansas is sitting at chew and chew I don't think that record reflects of how good this team actually is back-to-back weeks of just tough losses you know one to BYU a good BYU team by the way and then just a tough tough loss to LSU I like Arkansas they're a scrappy team they can make some noise in the west this year but they're, they're not quite the team that we saw last year. KJ Jefferson is really all that this offense has, and he he tried his best, man. He tried his best. He went for almost 300 yards, rushed for almost nearly another 50. Like They just, they just need help. It's, again, a one-dimensional team. It's a KJ Jefferson team. Yeah, and, you know, they're going up against a good LSU team. This LSU defense is a legit defense and a legit unit, and... I thought Arkansas looked great. You know, they they did some fantastic work, and you know they put that offensive performance against a lot of other teams, and they're going to come out just fine. They're going to come out just fine. You ju- you are right. There needs to be some development in the offense there. It is still very one dimensional, but there's a lot of promise there because they took it to a defense that is a good defense, and they took it to a team that's a really good team. And you know they had the they had the the right recipe. They tried the the time of possession game. They had it all through the first half. They just couldn't do it for two solid halves and. You know, LSU just narrowly get out of there with the win. Next game I want to dive into, and this was another fantastic game. And this was the Washington State Cougars against Oregon State Beavers. 38-35 thriller. And I don't know what else to say other than Cameron Ward. 28-34, 404 yards, four touchdowns. What a showing. Did you see much of this one, Ty? I watched the recap this morning when I texted you, Josh Kelly, man. Three touchdowns. Hey, he's a great receiver. And dude, this Washington State offense is just a pure passing 
demon attack. I don't even know what to say. True, true air raid. And mm-hmm. Oregon State just had no answer for it. Like, it's so frustrating when a team is just picking you apart and a guy just slips in his own. Kim Ward, sidearm. Slips in his own, sidearm. Goes over the top, <laughs> big play. It's like, it's painful because I've seen it happen to so many teams. I've been on the receiving end of it as an Oregon fan against Washington State. Shout out to the Washington State Cougs, man. You're Pac-2 champion now. <laughs> <laughs> they had 520 yards. 420 of them were, were through the air. Like, it was just a true, true, just, they tore them apart. They tore them apart. And, yeah, I mean, the defense left a lot to be desired. You know, still still up 35 for Oregon State. And, you know, that offense and that rushing attack looked pretty good. But, man, it don't matter if you give up 35, if you can score 40 every week. <laughs> and... The defense was honestly fine for the first half. You know, the defense was creating turnovers. They were keeping DJU in check. Sean Fenwick did have a good game on the uh, ground. I don't see how Washington State can have an answer to the ground attack. Like, they were just getting kind of bullied in that second half. Right for, like, average nine. I think what it says here, Oregon State averaged six yards a carry in the entire game. That's not including sacks. Like, ugh. Not not a not a good look for Washington State's defense, but like you said, who needs defense where you're gonna be able to score forty all game? And Washington State are fourth best team in the Pac twelve right now? Third best team, fifth best team? Where would you put them? I mean they're definitely up there. They're definitely up there. They're comfortably in the top five for me right now. You got the big three of USC, Washington, Oregon. You figure Utah four, Washington State five. It's and Washington Cam State Ward's five like there, yeah maybe the sixth or fifth best quarterback in the Pac-12 as well, and he's just a baller. <laughs> he would be probably the top quarterback in every other conference. He's just playing in the best QB conference right now, and he's pay- playing in one of the best offensive conference right now. I really love what Washington State has done these last two years. Like They, they just become that team that you have to game plan for the air raid. Like You have to have a good rushing attack and force him off target or force him off platform and then also having the disciplined dbs to not get lost in a zone and let a man slip behind you it's so difficult to defend yeah it really is and you know that's when that air raid offense is just this is why so many teams have been adopting it over the last few seasons because when it clicks and you've got the personnel it is so hard to it stretches you horizontally it stretches you vertically you can't cover every blade of grass, and it makes you cover every blade of grass, and you can't do it. And when you have a quarterback that can really read it and can make those correct decisions, you're in serious trouble as a defense. You really are. And I just don't think Oregon State has the athletes on defense. I think Oregon State's game plan for probably the rest of the year is kind of do what Arkansas tried to do against LSU and what Utah did is like have a great defense that will and just run the ball and sit on a team because – Right now, the Oregon State passing attack really isn't there, and it's just a run-heavy team, and they're going to want to play time possession, and they're going to want to keep the ball out of a team's hands. It's just when you play a team that spreads the ball around so quick and keeps the clock running, it's so difficult to defend. And, you know, that doesn't doesn't play too well when you go down first. You can't really chase a game or chase a lead when... It becomes a lot harder to chase a lead when that's your style of offense because... You need the time. And when your game plan is waste time <laughs> and you're down by two scores, you know, you're limiting your own amount of drives. And 
yeah, it's tough. This is one of the big things that I've seen. Jumping to the NFL quickly, it's one of the things that we've, we've said for a couple of years about the Titans. It's just not a team that's built to play from behind. They're built to try and get up on you quick and then they'll sit on it. That just doesn't work when you play a team that just has way more talent than you, which you don't really see in the NFL. But when you, in college, you absolutely do. And Oregon State will play teams that are just way more talented than them. Yeah, and I think Oregon State will be fine moving forward in the rest of the season because this is a good team. It, you know, I'm excited to watch all the Pac-12, all the Pac-12 North, honestly, because you got four great teams in Oregon, Washington, Washington State, Oregon State, and um, uh, I think they'll be fine. We're still probably looking at a 10-win team. Washington State surprised me a lot. I think they can move in that you know nine-win area, and they're going to be a tough team to play the rest of the season. For sure, for sure. Next one I'm going to jump into is the other Washington team. This is the Washington Huskies, 59-32 over Cal. Michael Penix, man. Michael freaking Penix. Looks the real deal. 19-25 for another four scores, even without one of his top targets, Jalen McMillan, after he got hurt in uh, the Michigan State game last week. Washington scored 45 points in the first half, which is just silly, and it actually matches a score record for, for Washington of, 40, of most points scored in a half. But the I think the other most impressive thing for me for this offense, this is the fourth game in a row where they've scored 40 or more points. And it's the longest stretch they've had since 1944. You know, pre-World War II ending is the last time they had a streak like this. This offense has been humming. The defense... I'm, gonna, I'm interested to hear what you say on the defense, Robert, because I know... Or from what I think I've spoken to you about, I think you like this defensive unit a lot. For me, this defense is giving up a lot of yardage. They're giving up a lot of a lot of yards against not that great teams, you know. This I, I put here they gave up five hundred yards to Cal's question mark quarterbacks. You know, I don't know who the who what these quarterbacks are and five hundred yards are going to are being given up here and you know the second that's a better team that actually makes the most of that yardage and is actually going to punch scores in this Washington team's going to, you know, really have to dig deep to find out who they are, especially on the defensive side. The offense is a different beast. The offense is fine. The offense is going to put up points. They're not going to be chasing many games this year, for sure. But there's still that slight concern in the back of my head for this defense. They're getting the turnovers. They got turnovers. They're absolutely fine. And when you're giving up those yards, if you're still getting the turnovers and, and, and you know, you are making those plays, you're going to be okay. The issue for me here is turnovers aren't exactly a sustainable statistic and you can't rely on them to be there each week. And if you're giving up 400, 500 yards each week, a team will bite you. You will just randomly get upset or or a better team will bite you. On the offensive side quickly here though, man, those receivers. Roma Dunze, Jalen Polk, five catches, 125 yards, two scores. Eight catches, 127 yards, two scores. The offense is a completely different beast and... I think you had a hot take on uh, on this offense. Yeah, Josh, I'm going to start with the offensive side of the ball. And I texted you this morning when I was watching this game. I think that the best quarterback and the best receiver in the entire country play for the University of Washington. I think after last night's performance, Roma Dunze is the best receiver in college football. He's not just a deep threat. He can catch the intermediate ball. He runs great route. He's a threat on punt returns. He is fast. He is great hand. Flying all over the field. And Michael Penix just wheels and deals. It is absolutely beautiful. I think Penix had one bad throw the entire game. You know, that was you scrambling out left. 
trying to make a play. He had pretty much all day in the pocket, scrambles out left, and then throws just a bad ball into coverage, and Cal makes an interception. That's it. He had one bad play. And I like to think Washington saw what Oregon did against Colorado. I was like, all right, we got to beat that. We got to do better. They scored 42. All right, we're going to score 42 in the first half. <laughs> That's what they did. I, listen, I'm an Oregon grad, and it's the only time I'll ever say anything nice about Washington. This Washington team's so <laughs> fucking fun to watch. <laughs> uh, they've been my favorite team pretty much since the start of the year to watch. I've really, really enjoyed watching this offense, and Michael Penix is just just incredible, just absolutely incredible to watch. The processor he has and the ability to go through reads and just deliver consistently to the right man every time is is special, and he's going to be a, an early name off of uh, off that draft board in April. Yeah, and, you know, he is a fifth, sixth-year senior, so it's good to see that he is at this level where, like, he's able to make these throws and these reads because he's just been in the game for so long. It's kind of, you know, same thing with Bo Nix. Like, you play the game long enough, you understand it, and that's what you want to see from a veteran quarterback. But I'm going to jump over now to the defensive side of the ball, Josh, because I'm kind of with you. I like this defense to start the year. I don't really like it that much anymore. I am worried about them because some of those turnovers I got against Cal were a little bit lucky where, you know, Ben Finley's scrambling out and just trying to throw the ball away and just doesn't get far enough. Throws it to the sideline, interception. Or, you know, strip sack fumble, he's not he's not protecting the ball. I don't think that this defense is sustainable right now. And looking ahead at their schedule, at the end of the year, at USC, home versus Utah, at Oregon State versus Washington State. Three of those are very great offenses, and by the end of the year, Utah might be a good offense. I am questionable about this defense. I am very questionable. You know, they can get to the quarterback, they can make pressure, but again, Cal's offense is very questionable, and the secondary for Washington was guys were open. Corners were, I don't know if they were just playing relaxed because they know it was Cal, but it looks like guys were trailing, trying to make picks and ball go over their head, or guys would just sit way back in their zones covering nothing and let guys come underneath them. Taj Davis, former Washington Husky, now plays for Cal, had a really impressive game. Jeremiah Hunter had an insane snag. That back shoulder catches it like literally in like the pit of his, like the intersection between his forearm and his, like, Upper arm, beautiful, beautiful catch. Yeah, Cal, and they're, they're not quite there. It's going to be another tough year for the Bears. I am impressed, though, to see this offense actually put up 32 points. <laughs> it's not something I'd thought they got a quarterback. Say. Yeah, they got a quarterback. They, 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 well, they need a quarterback. Well, yeah, they, they, <laughs> they, ain't, they ain't got a quarterback. You're right. Cool. I think that kind of wraps up our... Uh... Oh, we could run down to the games. Did you want to do a, like a, a whistle stop tour through the through the other ones? Yeah, Josh, I will just start running through these games, give some thoughts. Feel free to jump in whenever. Let's start in Ann Arbor. The Khakis are back in town. Jim Harbaugh, Michigan wins thirty-one-seven. Rutgers does cover. I I kind of like them to win outright, but you know I'll t- I'll settle for the cover. Uh, Rutgers scored in their first or second offensive play of the game. Shutout since then. Michigan's defense just swarm them um i'm a lot more confident watching michigan now i think that that run game is a lot better than i thought it was and michigan has kind of an identity um another big game in the big 10 northwestern finally won a game they beat minnesota 34 to 31 in overtime 
Josh, I said it in our week one preview or our week one recap. Minnesota is the kings of playing up and playing down the team's levels. <laughs> like they, they just do. They always play up and down to a team's level. Northwestern was able to erase a 21 point deficit, come back and win a game. Good for them. Good for them. Also earlier in Aggieland, Texas A&M beats Auburn 27 to 10. Connor Wegman does go down with a high ankle sprain. I don't know his status for the rest of the year because they have Alabama in two weeks. That's going to be a really fun one. But Auburn's three quarterbacks combined for 56 total passing yards, Josh. Man. This Auburn offense is god, god awful. Peyton Thorne, 6 for 12, 44 yards. Holden Gurner, 2 for 7, 8 yards. Robbie Ashford, 1 for 4, 4 yards. (laughs) Uh, That's tough. That's tough. But, you know, good job on Max Johnson, the son of Super Bowl champion Brad Johnson, coming in, having a nice performance. Um, A&M's defense looks a lot better than they did against Miami. We also got TCU beating SMU to win the Iron Skillet. Huge, huge win. That's a big rivalry if Casey didn't know, Josh, in like that Fort Worth area. And they play for a literal Iron Skillet. Kind of fun. Also, we got West Virginia beat Texas Tech. Unfortunate for the Red Raiders, Tyler Shuck broke his leg in that game, carted off. That's really unfortunate to see because he just has season-ending injuries all year, and he was playing pretty well. I think the Tech dream is kind of done. I had them as my dark horse to win the Big 12. Good for West Virginia. Neil Brown, you have to keep your job for probably another year now, which is... Sorry, sorry, West Virginia fans. Sorry. Uh, Iowa State beat Oklahoma State... 34-27 in our preview last week, Josh. I said the over-under was 36, and Iowa State almost beat that on their own. I like to think that Iowa State was gambling on that game. <laughs> almost 100%. 100%. Uh, no, of note, Oklahoma State only played one quarterback this time. It was Alan Bowman, and you know, he had an average performance. Uh, Kansas State has a good rebound after last week's loss to Missouri. They won 44-31 to over UCF, who made their Big 12 debut. Also making their Big 12 debut, Cincinnati. They lost 20-6 to to Oklahoma. That Oklahoma offense, it's the cycle. They score 66, they score 14. They score 66, they score 20. <laughs> it is a Jekyll and Hyde offense. Also, we have Syracuse. They were able to beat Army. They are the True kings of New York now. I love Garrett Schrader, Josh. I don't know how much of his game you've watched. Dude's a magician. He's a magician at quarterback. I haven't seen too much of him, but from from what it sounds like in this game, I need to uh, need to check him out. I'll, I'll send you some clips, man. He's he's just your pure fun like college quarterback where he's absolutely no way in hell going to play in the NFL, but like he's going to give Syracuse eight wins this year, and Syracuse is undefeated right now. Watch out for the orange. Dino Babers has his boys rolling. Also, we got App State. They lost to Wyoming. Josh, you mentioned this at the end of our show last week. Sneak Could have been a sneaky good game at altitude in Laramie, and it sure was a sneaky good game. This was a lot of fun, and, and you know, I got a soft spot for App State. And this was just an awesome, awesome game. And, you know, I've, I've liked Wyoming from, from one of the early games in the season with the... With the um, I can't remember what game it was now, but it was uh, the the, the Peasley. Tech game. Yeah, the Texas Tech yes, game. Yes, it was. A te- yeah, it was the Tech game. That was the game. Um, 
and they've been a lot of fun since that game. I, I've enjoyed watching them uh, and always enjoy watching App State. App State seem to play everyone close, no matter who it is. And, and this was another really fun one and, and why we managed to get it done. Josh, do you know what the Andrew Peasley passing line was? <laughs> oh, no, low again, I imagine. It's been low all year. Even when he's been good, it's been low. Five for 15, 31 yards and an interception. <laughs> And they win. And this, they this win. Is, this is just my my brand of football. It's pure Smash Mouth football. <laughs> pure Smash Mouth football. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Also, we got Duke. They beat UConn forty-one to seven. Mike Elko and the Blue Devils are absolutely humming right now. I love what they're doing down there in Durham, Tennessee. Fuck Josh Heupel. They won forty-five to fourteen over UTSA. The Roadrunner dream is also dead. I don't think that they're winning the Sun Belt. Else, Frank Harris did not play in this game. Uh, he has an injury. That's unfortunate to see. Florida, they won 22-7 over Charlotte. Josh, one of the best catches of the year. Man, if you haven't seen it yet, just watch the highlights to find that one catch because I don't think I've ever seen a grab quite like that one. It was absurd. Receive number one, I'm blanking on his name right now, number one for Florida. Going up on the seam and just plucks his hand up. Literally, he does the Jumpman logo. <laughs> he does the Jordan logo, grabs a ball, pulls it in, takes the hit. One of the best catches you'll see all season. Also, Texas, they beat Baylor 38-6. to That's a great net crack game for Texas after losing or winning a close one against Wyoming last week. They start out Big 12 play hot. Dave Aranda, hot seat. It's getting warmer. It's getting warmer. And uh, nice to see Quinn Ewers have a bit of a bounce about week after a little bit of a... I mean, I know they sort of handled business last week, but if you listen to the show last week, it wasn't a comfortable win for Texas by any stretch. So nice to see Quinn Ewers have a nice bounce about week. Xavier Worthy had an awesome double pass in the game. Quinn Ewers just throws it. Worthy takes one step, flings like a 60-yard bomb, and Texas is fun. Texas is back. Uh, also, Georgia, you know... They are cakewalking through their cakewalk schedule, 49-21 over UAB. Brock Bowers had an insane, insane stat line. Like He went for like 120 and two touchdowns. Absolutely the best tight end in the country right now. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. I still haven't seen too much of Georgia this year because I don't feel like they've played anyone that's been kind of worth watching outside of the highlights and, and kind of the extended highlights. But nice to see the stars kind of really showing out there because Brock Bowers is someone I'm so excited to see on Sundays. Josh, you do not need to watch any Georgia because you could go out there and throw 200 yards to Brock Bowers yourself. <laughs> um, and then just a quick wrap-up. UNC, they beat Pittsburgh 41-24. Josh, you sent me the clip of Drake May with the left-handed touchdown throw. That was sick. With a man hanging off of him. It's absurd. He switches it into his left hand with a defender draped off of him and throws it left-handed to a man in the end zone for a score. Man, Drake May is awesome. Phil Jerkovic for Pitt. Oh, he's one of the worst quarterbacks in all of FBS. 11 for 15, 109 yards. Oh, Pitt, you need a quarterback bad. And then finally, the late night game. USC wins 42 to 28 over Arizona State in Tempe. Do not let the score deceive you. USC played a bad game. I don't know what it is about late night games in the desert. They're a tough place to play. Arizona State had this game tied, 28-28 all, but, you know, USC just too much talent. Caleb Williams had some bad procedural, like, handoffs, some fumbles, just didn't look good. Maybe, you know, they're just sleepwalking through their schedule also. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're allowed one bogey game in your every year when you're a, a team at the top like that, and, 
you know they're just lucky that their bogey game came against ASU because this is a real bad ASU team. We said at the start of the season that USC had an incredibly front-loaded schedule, back-loaded schedule, sorry, where, you know, the front half of the schedule, they play nobody and they play everyone in the second half of their schedule and these kind of early games are the ones you really wanted to see them use as get-right games, really, really fine-tune everything against teams you're just going to blow out. It's a great chance to get reps on offense, great chance to put guys through through matchups and get them reps and all you know all of that stuff that that just is vital when you come up against these big teams that when a guy goes down hurt or you need to put a guy in for a third down because someone's got to come out for a play you know the guy's been there before and he's got a chance to do it and and I've had a lot of chances to do this and it's it's a little bit concerning for me that at this stage in the season they're having a lot of those procedural issues that we haven't kind of seen from them and you know could just be a bogey game but going into a stronger part of their schedule now there's there's a small bit of there's a nagging thought at the back of my head that just isn't going away with this USC team. I think the best analogy for this is this was USC's week one game because it's the first time the USC offense is played. It's the first time Caleb Williams started and finished the game. He didn't sit out at halftime. So maybe that was it. They just weren't used to playing a full game. Uh, Brennan Rice, have yourself a day. 7 for 133, two touchdowns. You can just pick and choose which USC receiver you want to go off on a week because they will do it. Then finally, to wrap this up, just a couple games I just want to touch on from Friday. North Carolina State beats Virginia 24-21 at the buzzer in the Brennan Armstrong Bowl. Brennan Armstrong, current North Carolina State quarterback, was at UVA. Um, this game was drunk as hell, where UVA's quarterback, I don't know if you've seen any of Anthony Calandra, kid, true freshman, 18-year-old kid, he is just like two speeds. I'm going deep or I'm going to run the ball like a hair on fire. And UVA gets down. They have a great score. They tie it up. Then Lineman gets a, or they score. They're down two. They're going to go for two. Lineman gets a penalty after the play. Back it up 15 yards. They got to go for two from the 17. Calandra scrambles right, takes a shot, beams a ball. Guy catches it and he takes his helmet off and, like flexes in front of the camera, 15-yard penalty on the kickoff, gives North Carolina State a short field. They get within field goal range in like three plays. North Carolina State lines up. UVA blocks it. Like, oh my God, we're going overtime. Nope, 15-yard penalty. The guy jumped. He leaped over to block it. So then North Carolina State just kicks a chip shot to win. I'm like, ah, oh, UVA. That's that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Um, and then the coach is going to blow his top he is gonna be fuming yeah tony elliott was certainly not happy and it's it's sad for uva you know the tragedies that they dealt with last year and kind of continuing to this year you you just want to see him win a game you want to see them win a game and then finally we have boise state they ran all over san diego state 34 31 ashton gentry man 205 yards and two touchdowns on 23 carries he's gonna be a wagon i'm excited to watch him the rest of the year and then finally josh we do have one game we need to touch on and we gotta go to, we gotta go to happy valley state college iowa score tracker josh how many points did they score this week a fat zero they put a big old duck on the board and i think i'm just looking it up now i think this might have dropped their average to 18.8 after they put themselves in a position last week to not have to score 25 again for the rest of the year and still finish with 25 average, they put a fat zero on the board and now are firmly below where they need to be. 
Man, the Iowa's offense was just they were they they had no answer from from the beginning. The or Cade McNamara was under duress the entire game. He only had forty six yards. He was sacked like six times, seven times. It was incredible. Penn State is looking like the real deal. Drew Aller was wheeling and dealing. They started to get that run game going as well. I think Penn State caused like four or three turnovers. Like this game was never in doubt. No, not at all. And yeah, Iowa just seemed to make it easy for them as well. As, as good as the Penn State team played, Iowa just didn't really show anything, any any sign of life or any sign of adjustment. But yeah, that kind of wraps up our our, our reviews, our reviews of the last game week. And it was a, a superb game week. It really was a fun game week. And you know, so many matchups lived up to the hype. Other games that didn't have as much hype then kind of gained a lot of hype just from being, you know, thrilling OT OT games and blowouts. And we had a bit of everything this week, and it was a lot of fun. But I want to dive into the week five previews now. And it's not as loaded of a week, but there's some sneaky good matchups in here. And kind of the first one I want to mention is Oregon State-Utah. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Utah right now. Big fan of this team. And if Rising's back, you know... The sky's the limit for these for these guys, and you know I think even with even with the backup quarterbacks in, you know the offense has struggled, but that defense looks so capable right now that I think they're going to bring it to Oregon State, and you know I got Utah in this one. I disagree, Josh. I'm going Oregon State. Fridays are a tough game to play, and for whatever reason, the Pac-12 loves scheduling them because it's a shorter week of practice. You got to travel a day early. I like Oregon State in this one because I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. Oregon State is going to try to run the ball, run the ball. Even if Cam Rising plays, it's going to be his first game back. This Oregon State defense is going to look for a bounce back. And Utah's not going to be able to pass on them like Washington State did. I'm seeing this to this tune of like maybe a 17-13 Beaver victory. Ooh, I love it. I love it. Next game I want to chat about is Colorado-USC, which I think is going to be, you know, the first kind of half test that USC has had to face. I think this is kind of a similar one free Colorado is Oregon in terms of you know they're playing one of the heavy hitters just are a class above them I can see you know potentially getting blown out again but we'll see man this 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 Colorado team surprised me before and I really like what Dion's doing and as we said earlier in the show you know some of that media attention might be away from them a little bit this week and they might have a chance to really try and create a bit more of an identity and and, and just work out what they're going to do particularly in the run game here um, I think they're going to have to have some level of run game to to threaten USC even slightly. USC's defense is nowhere near the level Oregon defense is. I do see Colorado being able to put up points in this one. However, I think USC is going to be way too much. I think Caleb Williams is going to pick apart this defense. I'm seeing this to the tune of like probably a 49-56 to 21. Like it's going to be it's going to be ugly. I am excited though the interactions between Lincoln Riley and Dion, like two egos going at it. Also, Caleb Williams Shador, two like that's gonna be fun. It's gonna be fun. Oh, you know it's gonna be a chippy week in the media. Oh yeah. Oh, especially after USC. I don't know if you saw a story. A first year reporter for a small newspaper in Orange County, which is you know south of LA, asked a player, a like he's heard over conversation asked him then wrote in an article it was very like praising as well and Lincoln Riley's like 
you're banned from all media now. You can't you can't be talking to players <laughs> on the Yes, field. no, I did see that. He's like a local media guy. Yeah. I couldn't understand it. it. It's a kid. It's our age, like first year. Lincoln Riley is such a douche. Like, what? get over yourself, dude. He's not giving away your secrets to everybody. It's literally just conversation he heard talking to the player. He has now since revoked the suspension. However, like, Lincoln Riley, get over yourself, you dickhead. Yeah, man. Some of these guys. Some of these guys. Next game here, I think this is going to be a sneaky one, the sneaky good game, and this is the ranked Texas going against the currently, but I think soon to be ranked Kansas Jayhawks, and this this Kansas Texas game is going to be a lot of fun because, man, that Kansas offense is is good. Yeah, we didn't get to talk about their win against BYU. Jaden Daniels is deal or Jalen Daniels, excuse me, dealing, dealing. I am a big fan. Also, just real quick about Kansas when they play BYU. The safety Kobe, or corner Kobe Bryant coming up, laying the wood on the receiver sweep, and then having the wherewithal to pick the ball up, scoop and score. I am so excited to watch this Kansas team. I think they should be ranked going into the game. It's going to be a fun duel. I don't know. Can't, I've seen Kansas do it before. I've, I've seen them do it before, Josh. I'm tempted to take Kansas in this one. Yeah, I'm leaning that way as well. And uh, I'm going to see kind of how the week's practice goes and, and see kind of what comes out of both camps going into this one before I make my final decision. But I'm currently leaning towards Kansas. Next one I want to chat about is the rivalry, Georgia-Auburn. I know you had some notes on this one. This Georgia are probably going to Georgia them, but you never know with this one. Uh, I don't know. After watching Auburn's offense versus A&M, where three quarterbacks combined for 56 yards, Georgia's defense is just a tick better than A&M's defense. Uh, it will be Georgia's, you know, first real test, quote unquote. I think that it'll just crockpot and like it'll be a sixty-minute ass whooping, and Georgia will probably win like thirty-five nothing, thirty-five-seven, where they don't even have to move the ball in the second half. There's like, yep, all right, cool. <laughs> Our defense is going to outscore you anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, I can see that as well. I can see that as well. I do think Georgia takes this one, but some of those rivalries can be a little bit slippery. Next one, one of the best ones on paper this week, and that's Ole Miss at LSU. That is going to be a lot of fun. Sorry, LSU at Ole Miss. That's going to be a lot of fun. And, and you know, this LSU team needs to get needs to get off to a bit of a better start early in this one offensively because I do think that Ole Miss team is going to try and get up on them and then try and you know play that time of possession game against them. I think they're going to try and starve LSU of the ball, not let them get their, their playmakers the ball. So LSU might not have the time to be as scrappy on offense in this one as they were against uh, against Arkansas. No, and I think Ole Miss is going to try to have a huge bounce-back week. I like their chances, especially at home against LSU's defense. However, I don't think they'll have the offensive firepower to keep up with Daniels and Neighbors and Co. I'm liking LSU in this one, probably by at least 10. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. Another one, this one's for you. I know you've had this one circled for a while. This is Duke Notre Dame. This is going to be... A sneaky, not even sneaky. This is going to be a great game. This is going to be an awesome game. And watching Notre Dame's defense last night against Ohio State and seeing what Duke's defense is capable of, Mike Elko and the boys are going to be fired. This is probably, if that Clemson game was the biggest home game in Duke history, this might be bigger. This might be bigger. And if Duke can pull off this upset, oh, we're going to be... We're going to be having fun with this one because those Blue Devils will be the team to beat in the ACC. Yes, I'm talking to you, Florida State. Um, I don't know. I I want to see Notre Dame's offense get off to a better start. Ohio State is a great defense, and Notre Dame found the rhythm late. It's just you know, too little too late. I can see Notre Dame screen out this one 
maybe a field goal, but I think Duke is going to play hard. They're going to get to Sam Hartman. They're going to make it hell, but I think Notre Dame just has too much talent for them. If Duke win this, do they crack the top 10? Uh, depends how convincingly. If they win by less than, you know, 10, I see them creeping up to like maybe that 14-11 range. But if they blow the brakes off them or just like handle them easily, I can see them cracking to that top 10. Oh, it's a spicy one. It's a spicy week. That kind of wraps up the big ones. Going to rattle through a couple other games now. Nebraska take on Michigan. Michigan are likely to have too much for them there. Uh, Stanford, Oregon. Don't know if you've got any notes on that one. Um, this is the proverbial trap game. Oregon always struggles with Stanford on the road, especially when they are the much better team because after this, Oregon has a bye, and then they have Washington. They are looking ahead. They just had a huge victory. They have a big rivalry, big game coming up. Don't step on the rake in front of you. Oh, man, I'm excited for that Oregon-Washington game. Oh, me too. Me too. <laughs> but we'll get to that. Tennessee, South Carolina. South Carolina obviously got them last year, so Tennessee looking for some revenge here. Arizona take on Washington. Don't expect any issues there for Washington. I mean, they're probably going to give up a few yards on defense, but that offense is going to be too much again. Iowa take on Michigan State. I mean, they're going to really hope for some bounce back, especially on offense, but Too they might not even 25 there either. Two, Two dreadful, dreadful offenses. offenses. I wonder what the uh, I wonder what the over under is going to be for that one. Any other games, time or have I kind of wrap most of them up? I'm just looking ahead at the schedule. West Virginia TCU. West Virginia sneaky three and one going into TCU after a nice win against Texas Tech. Let's see what you can do, Mountaineers. Let's see what you can do. We also have A and M versus Arkansas in Jerry World. It's the Jerry game of the year. Um, could be a fun game. Let's see what. A&M team shows up. Can they put together a complete offense and a complete defense? Can Arkansas have a bounce back? This game is always kind of wonky. Last year ended on literally like the ball bouncing off the top of the goalpost to end the game. Uh, and if A&M can win this one, they might sneak back into the top 25. It might be in brainwash, Josh. Probably. Uh, Penn State, Northwestern. <laughs> I think Penn State should probably handle business here, although Northwestern's going to be riding off a high. Um, Virginia Boston College is a sicko, true sicko game of the week. Virginia's 0-4, Boston College is 1-3. Boston College got the break speed off them this past week against Louisville. Look it up on Twitter. Louisville ran a fake kneel down. <laughs> it's, it's the funniest thing you'll see. And that pretty much does it from the games I'm seeing. Yeah. No, not as big of a week as this last week gone, but... You know, some still some key ranked matchups in there and some big ones coming in the next couple of weeks as well. Um, any closing notes, Ty, or ready to sign out? Um, college football is dumb and I love the sport. <laughs> what better way to end? I've been Josh, that's been Ty. Check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash thinkingfootball. Check out the channel, videos dropping every week now the season is back. And hey, enjoy, this, enjoy the games this weekend. Take care.